Hi, it's Lisa. Welcome back to The Healing Path, a podcast created to connect our broken hearts as we journey into honest conversations about grief and loss in our daily lives. Following the deaths of two of my children, I struggled for many years to fill the holes in my heart. I felt like I tried everything, prayer, meditation, therapy, coaching, reading, journaling, waiting, begging, (laughs) you name it. Plus, I tried a few less productive approaches. And after two decades of continuing to grieve, it occurred to me that maybe I'd set the wrong goal. Instead of trying to feel better by filling those painful voids, I've learned that building a life around them is a much more worthy target. A major part of this approach is talking openly about what my grief is like, instead of keeping it to myself. With this newfound permission to let all the parts of me be here, I feel more human and less like a robot on autopilot. So I created the Healing Path podcast with the hope that sharing our stories in a mutually compassionate and supportive environment will help us to stop working so hard to hide our scars from ourselves and others and start wearing them proudly as the medals of love that they are. So thank you for joining this episode of The Healing Path. Today, I'm chatting about a post called Apples and the Grief Threshold. This is um, shared, I believe, earlier this week in uh, June of 2022. So, Apples and the Grief Threshold. After our daughter Alexis died at 13 months in September of 1997, I didn't move for many weeks. I may have attended things, but I was completely numb. Over time, I noticed my brain had to do some unfogging before my senses would return. When that started to happen, I answered the call to become a pediatric intensive care nurse, the one that came to me at 2 a.m. and woke me from a sleep in November of that same year. It helped to have something to focus on besides my grief, and I felt a sense of purpose while getting through my accelerated program at Marymount University in Arlington, Virginia. It was not an easy course, but I was able to complete it with lots of help from unsuspecting places. There was one particular day that stands out as more difficult than most of the others. We were writing a three-hour exam in a large lecture hall. The instructor sat two aisles behind me for the duration of the exam. I know this because it seemed like she was eating an apple for that entire three hours. As I sat trying to take the exam and pondered responses, trying to concentrate and access all the data I'd been studying for so long, I was distracted. The sound of what seemed to be loud crunching and chewing of an apple by my instructor might as well have been in my seat with me because the crunching and the chewing felt literal as if actually in my ears. Thanks for your patience. If you're hearing thunder in the background, it's because there's thunder in the background. So back to the post. Time was passing and I grew anxious. Narratives like these started flooding my brain, which was supposed to be focused on the med surge 10 credit course exam. Quote, what the hell is that instructor doing eating during this exam? No one else is allowed to eat in here. Doesn't she know how distractingly loud that chewing is? How do you get to be a professor of nursing 
and not have the self-awareness to either chew quietly or maybe even, I don't know, wait till the exam's over, I wonder if I can complain to anyone or maybe get graded on a curve since this is so unfair. With the money I've paid for this course, I should be able to take my exam in peace. And on and on and on I went. All the while, my physical body started responding to the narrative. My heart was racing. I could feel my face getting flushed and my blood pressure rising. The more I fed these thoughts, the harder they were to overcome. They became more about me being a victim than anything else. It was all about me and my experience. I was breathing fast and unable to course correct. I myself didn't have the self-awareness at that time to pause and plan the way I'm now trained to do. Thank you, Victor Frankel. Instead, I let my emotions run me right into a ditch. Once I'd successfully worked myself into a complete tizzy, and I'm not sure if that's a word, I ran out of the room and straight to the bathroom. I cried endlessly, became puffy and red-faced. I couldn't breathe. And the narratives ran away from me. Doesn't my instructor know that my daughter died? Doesn't she know that I'm here for the right reason so I can dedicate my work to Alexis? I can't do this. I thought I could, but I can't. This is too hard. Too painful. What was I thinking? I'm not a picky nurse and I wasn't made to be one. This is what I get for trying to have a life without Alexis. I am so nuts. Stupid may have been the word that I used at the time, but I'm kinder to myself now. I'm so nuts to think I should or could do this. I want my bed. I want anesthesia. I want to disappear. In the exam, totally forgot about it as I got swept away by crossing that lowered grief threshold as my runaway narrative train wreck went off the rails. The bad news when we don't handle our grief, our grief handles us. Go to lisamcfarland.com and search the blog for several posts about this concept that I call the grief threshold. When our tolerance for grief lowers, which can happen for many reasons, including that we are ignoring it, that grief finds a way to blanket everything else we do until we stop and sit with it. And who wants to do that? So here's some good news. I didn't actually run out of the room and tank that exam. <laughs> Thank God. I wanted to. But even as a young woman, I had an inkling of what was happening. I didn't have the self-awareness that I have now, but I did ever so slightly recognize what was happening. I was physically reacting to a neutral environmental cue, and my brain was making that cue wrong and bad and a threat. Once I took a couple of deep breaths and reminded myself that apples are good <laughs> or whatever I made up to replace the negative label, I moved on and in truth, never noticed it again after that. But I've got a little more bad news for you. When we are owned by our grief, I feel like, okay, the thunder is literally lurking around to give us an example of what I'm trying to describe here. So when we are owned by our grief, it lurks around waiting to jump on us as soon as the chance arises. It's slithering all over the ground, looking for an opening, a split second, where either joy or sorrow force our guard and our grief threshold down. And boom, it's in. 
We never feel fully at ease knowing that our broken hearts underpin everything else in our experience. We let a little in, we let a little out here and there when we feel brave enough. But eventually, every so often, we realize we've been attacked by the grief gremlin. So here's some more good news. We can aim to make peace with that grief gremlin. Notice I said aim to make peace. Because even that intention is a pretty ambitious undertaking compared to the usual armor we wear to block grief in any form and as fast as possible. If we can make a little peace, we can raise that grief threshold ever so slightly. And when we start to build some momentum, we start to let a little more in and a little more out. And in this way, we can begin to restore our grief threshold to its higher former level level, and get on with our days, our exams, or our apples, whatever the case may be. I actually loved nursing school. What an amazing group of people I got to learn from and with. A few years after graduation, I was actually invited back to speak to the university's pediatric nursing students. They asked me to speak about my experience as a mom in the hospital units with my sick child. I gave what I had to the talk and tried to convey the critical role that the nurse plays in the hospital dynamic. I remember saying something like, it's no different than being a waitress in a restaurant. The entire experience of the customer can be made or broken by you. Now, including that in the talk assumed that others besides me had worked as a waitress, but I think that the metaphor worked okay. And when I gave this talk, I felt like my horrific experience of caring for and ultimately losing my only daughter was becoming fuel for someone else's healing. And well, I guess you could say I've been looking for more impactful ways of doing that ever since. So thanks for joining this episode of The Healing Path, talking about this grief threshold going down and the grief gremlins that jump in when that happens. It's a real thing. And if you've followed my work at all, you may have read about different accounts that I shared over time that I felt I didn't have the words for it at the time, and I'd never heard the phrase grief threshold, but I could feel something happen, almost like a crack in in the armor I was wearing. And what I learned over time is that actually joy and pain, sorrow and despair, they all the emotions, those really rich versions, like the highest version of joy, like eudaimonic joy, or the most terrible form of depression, you know, you take those extremes But what those extreme emotional experiences do is they open us. So that's when the grief gremlin's like, shit, yeah, let's go. She's got her guard down. And that's when I would um, experience, and I've written about some of these things, this weird dynamic of having joy and pain and grief um, so closely related because I was confused often and I felt punished. So God forbid, if I felt joy in even the littlest, you know, just let a little crack of light for some joy to come in or to come out. And then the next thing you know, I'd be hysterical crying or just feel like I was going to vomit or have to exit. And I felt punished. Like, 
Why do you think that you get to feel joy? Your daughter died. You should know better. And I used that as an opportunity to kind of beat up on myself. And I, what I have learned over time is that by, and it's, I say over time with an underline because it is now going 25 years I've been dealing with the loss of my daughter and it takes a long time, but being able to little by little um, make peace with the grief gremlin and when you feel it coming on, instead of reaching for a drink or, you know, turning on Netflix or even, you know, working so that you don't have to think about it, instead of that, we we say, oh, I see you, come on, you know, if it's a song on the radio, instead of switching it right away, it's sort of like, okay, I know you're trying to say hello, not in a literal sense, but truly from an energetic perspective. This grief experience is something so powerful and unique. And I don't think we, as a community or, you know, a cohort really understand all the ways, all the many ways that grief literally controls our life after we lose a loved one. And that a lot of the suffering that comes from that grief is actually avoidable in a sense. The pain is not avoidable, but the suffering is avoidable. And that's a, a great chat that we can come back to and should. Um, wrapping up this particular post. To this point, I had this experience just yesterday. I was out running errands and I had this pull to drive to the cemetery where my daughter is buried. And I usually, you know, in a year's time, I might go out there once or twice or three times and probably years have passed that I haven't been there. But I just, I felt that pull and I had some things going on that I was really excited about. And I just thought, yeah, that's a good idea. And so I, I let myself reroute from my task list and drive to the cemetery, which was, you know, just about 15 maybe miles away in the country. I sat out there, I prayed, I meditated, and I left. And it, I may have been there for 10 minutes at most. But then I just got back to the business of doing what I was doing. And that's what I mean when I say we try to make peace. We let a little bit more in, a little bit more out. There's a time when I would have had that urge and that I would have done everything I could to stop feeling it. And in that way, I would still be giving it my attention, but I'm setting up my own suffering by running from something that is as ridiculous to run from as our very breath. So I hope there's been some part of this that resonated or that is of value. We went through some good news and some bad news, but I think it's good news. I think understanding that there are certain things we can do to minimize our suffering, I think that that's got to be good news. And I want to learn as much as I can. I want to share my own experience, but I want to learn from you as well, because I know that I'm so in this with a, with <laughs> with everybody. So until next time, let's do our very best to stay present, to stay grateful, and to stay healing. And as always, I thank you for listening, thunder and all.